Hiya, sports movie pals, and merci for dumping Scoring at the Movies episode number 37 into your brain. We look back at old sporty-type motion pictures, and we make no apologies for spoiling every bit of the one in question. Sometimes other movies, too, and I'm sure that'll happen in this one as well. I'm the beret-wearing stalker who's got the French Foreign Legion on his shapely ass, Ryan Ellis. And here's the perverse yet classy violence lover who hungrily licks the blood splattered on his shapely chest, Chris DiGregorio. Thank you, Ryan. Did you get the references there? I got that reference. I mixed and matched a few there. (laughs) I'm just happy to know that you think my chest is shapely. Thank you for that. Certainly more shapely than mine is. Good lord. But I have the better ass. That you do. At least I used to. I'm referring to the woman you see, and I think it's the first underground fight when everyone's wearing nice outfits and jewels and that kind of thing, and the woman gets a little bit of blood on her. And licks it off herself. Yeah, puts her finger in her chest, licks it off. That's just not hygienic. It's bad enough that you're fighting in a freaking parking garage, but you're going to lick some random dude's blood off your chest? It makes me wonder why they felt the need to put that into the movie, particularly since she was making intense eye contact with JCVD Mm -hmm. while that was happening, and... I'm not sure if his reaction on his face was meant to be like his heart was all a Twitter, oh my, or whether he was disgusted. It was a very low... I think disgusted. He's a prude. He is a prude. He does not go after Cynthia when he could, but we're getting way ahead of ourselves by talking about that. Just because you mentioned blood-splattered hottie number one, did you notice her boyfriend or whatever that brought her to the fight, he's trash-talking Van Damme after Van Damme wins that first fight? Okay. I can beat up this punk or whatever the hell he says. And Van Damme walks into the crowd and grabs him and I'll kick your ass, buddy, kind of thing, and then gets pulled off and all is well. Slightly later in the movie, he says, I don't like fighting, I'm against it, but I'm doing it for my family. Yet every time he has the opportunity to challenge somebody to a fight in the middle of one of these circumstances, he does it. The guy is the most bloodthirsty fighter ever. He doesn't walk away like he could. He doesn't walk away. He could just beat the crap out of his opponent and leave, but instead he likes to flail around for somebody else to beat the hell out of and then claim, I don't like this. I'm doing it for my family. Smithy's got some Karate Kid vibes and he needed a Miyagi, I guess. He does have one with Joshua, his black savior. He does. (laughs) Black Jesus? Black Jesus. (laughs) But he needs to turn the other cheek more often, it's true. But he's painted as this saintly fellow who's also able to beat up anybody, even when he probably should be in the hospital anyway, let alone when he fights a guy who's monstrously bigger than him and certainly is an experienced fighter in his own right. Until, uh... Abdel Kwesi, Q-I-S-S-I. Apparently that guy is an actual friend of Van Damme's. They grew up in a similar area of Brussels, I think. Did he also have a... Blofeld-esque white cat with him when he was a young kid. <laughs> I assume that was the actor's cat. He just carries around at all times. Nothing to do with the We gotta work cat. this in the movie, JC. <laughs> now, okay, that sounds good to me. Were you as distracted by Abdul Kisi's fake sideburns and extensions? Like no, the model extensions? No. There are a few things in the movie that do not hold up to HD remastering. One is Joshua's ear. Because they give him like a little prosthetic cauliflowering mm-hmm. around the left ear, and you can see where it starts and where it ends, and it mm. doesn't really hold. The other thing was that guy, Attila's weird mullet and his sideburns, because they're awesome, and they're clearly a latter-day Andre the Giant homage look that this guy's got going on, Everybody right? want a sideburn? <laughs> yeah. Except that every time they go in close on his face, 
you can see all the adhesive underneath the hair and it just kept glinting. The lights kept glinting. (laughs) I'm sure in the VHS version of this, you couldn't tell. It was too blurry. But under the 1080p lights, it's so freaking distracting. Mm. When I first mentioned that we should do Lionheart, well, I don't know if I said we should do Lionheart, but I saw it was free on Amazon. And as I've been saying lately, when we watched, what was it? Bev and I watched Interview with the Vampire. Mm. Free will often convince me to do a movie. (laughs) And this is also a different thing. It's technically not MMA. We're stretching to say it's MMA. I also said because it's Halloween today that it could be scary. I haven't seen it. I hadn't seen it at the time. It It, was better than I thought it would be. It evokes all the terror of forced military service. Well, I just thought maybe it'd be a horrifyingly bad movie. (laughs) Although Jean-Claude Van Damme is not a bad actor. He's surprisingly good in this movie. I think this was actually his first acting role and i know he did bloodsport and kickboxing and all that before bloodsport would have made more sense in this spot by the way but it wasn't free on amazon yeah. so that's why we didn't do it let's see what his first movie actually was oh he'd done a bunch uncredited roles for a while in the yeah. mid 80s yeah but bloodsport looks like it's 88 this is one of his first roles at least kickboxer in 89 Lionheart came out january 11th 1991 made a lot of money actually four times the budget and then double impact came out in august that year and actually made more money than this because it was 45th at the box office and Lionheart was 56 which isn't bad in either case because not like they cost very much money but i think this was the first time he had an opportunity to do a little bit of acting aside from just walking around and kicking everybody's ass i've seen Bloodsport. don't remember it at all is it pretty much just him fighting all the yeah. time and saying four lines at a time at the most essentially and this guy do a lot of acting you're right a lot of lines a lot of single tears rolling down the cheek mm-hmm. in this and all that kind sad of sad moments he also co-wrote he's actually got something like eight or ten writing credits whether it be story or character credits or actually just writing the script, which he did with the director of this movie, Sheldon Lettich, who also directed Double Impact, directed that too. Nothing since 2001 for Lettich. And this was his first movie. So not a terrible start. I really expected this movie to be dreadful, and it wasn't. This movie's fun. If you're looking at it critically, it's bad. There's so many problems with the screenplay and the plot and the way it plays out. And it still also falls into all of those early 90s, late 80s action movie pitfalls, right? The whole attacking the protagonists one at a time, even though you've got a six-on-one advantage. You still see that in movies now. Yeah. or You always will. I think it's, as much as anything, it's a blocking or a choreography issue to have more than one person engage with a protagonist. It's also confusing sometimes for the viewer. But at the same time, the choreography is often bad. The sound effects are amazing. It's like <laughs> 1970s kung fu movie. Wha-pa! Right? Like it sounds like a whip crack every time somebody gets hit. It's a lot of fun to watch. It's not very long. It's like an hour and a half-ish long, right? And it moves pretty quickly from fight to fight. And the guy that plays Joshua, and whose name escapes me, he is so much fun through this movie, mm. too. Van Damme's fine, but he carries the movie as far as... Oh, the he's the heart of the film, for sure. Oh, absolutely. By the way, it's almost an hour and 50 minutes, according to IMDb here, so it's not quite a short movie, I wouldn't say. Uh, I, I wouldn't say it drags, though. Did you say an hour and 15 or an hour 50? 50. Oh, that can't be... One hour, 48 minutes. Unless that's a different cut, because on Amazon it runs an hour 44, including five to six minutes of credits okay. and stuff, so maybe it's a different cut. Well, let's get that beer open first. We've been talking for a while here, so what do you have? Just as an homage to the French Legion and Lyon's military service. This is Armed in Citra, a punchy IPA. So we'll just get that. One you've had before by the sounds of it. I think so. I can't remember if I've had it on the podcast or not, but hey. I went with a brand new Crown Royal just bought the bottle a couple hours ago. And of course, Diet Pepsi with cherry. And one thing we know about Lyon is even though Van Damme is shredded... He's impressive, and he is a... He is the muscles from I'm going to answer this question right now about whether or not this movie is a scorable movie. Him alone. If I was a lady or a gay guy, I'd be so into him. Of all those guys, Seagal, Stallone, Schwarzenegger, and others, too, who were doing this, I guess Jet Li, maybe you could argue him, and Jackie Chan, doing this kind of thing back then, 
He is far and away the most attractive one, the sexiest oh, yeah. one. I love the fact that he has a writing credit in this movie because the number of times that he's shirtless, that he's shirtless, or that Cynthia character, the rich, controlling, what would you call her? She's not like a mob boss or anything, but she's the one that arranges for his fights and all that mm. kind of stuff. She's his manager on top of Joshua. He's the manager, Kinda. I guess. But she's yeah. always trying to score with him and always telling him how pretty his face is. And the line, the second fight of the movie is in where the other guy says, I don't know whether to fight you or fuck you. I wonder if that was Van Damme inserting all these compliments. I pretty much guarantee it. For sure it was Van Damme that was like, okay, listen, I need a scene in this movie where I can just sort of pose in the sunlight with my ass just straight to camera for like a good five seconds for no reason at all, just to have it happen. You know right? why? Got to quote Heat here. Because he's got a great ass! And she wants her head all up in it! <laughs> he must work out. Look at the ass on that. At that point, he's passed out in a random hotel room she's gotten for him. And he's naked. And he Which w- does make some sense because he doesn't have very many clothes. It's a different outfit. When he escapes the French Foreign Legion, he's wearing those clothes. Okay. Then he's got sailor scrubs, I guess you call those. we, we got to talk about That's that, That's the only too. outfit he has for quite a bit of this movie. But I just love the fact that she can come into the room while he's asleep at night, strip him entirely of everything. Did she strip him? I thought maybe it's just supposed to be that he stripped himself. When he falls in the bed and falls asleep, he's fully clothed. And uh, when he wakes up, he says, where's my clothes? So she stripped him. Okay, right. She moved him. She put him under the covers. And then she started working out next to the bed. Yeah, and doing he's still pull-downs. <laughs> Terrible form, by the way. Yeah, Awful form. Really? I don't know much about She's that. She's going to hurt herself. I'm actually thinking, as you point all this out, that she would have stripped him naked. It's kind of like the Vertigo thing. Yeah. Where Jimmy Stewart first finds Kim Novak, and she's wet, so it's understandable, but she's either fully naked or basically naked in his bed, and it's a movie all about his sexual obsession with her. Maybe it's a bit of a reference to Vertigo. And incidentally, I mentioned scoring at the movies. The other thing that makes this such a scorable movie, maybe the hottest movie we've seen yet, if not the, it's definitely <laughs> top three. Deborah Renard, who was JR's secretary in Dallas, yeah. didn't make a lot of movies, neither did Harrison Page. But Cynthia, Deborah Renard, how do you resist, man? She You're pl- not married to anybody else. You got a pinky ring on, somehow has that from the French Foreign Legion. Yeah. I don't know why he's wearing that at all, but he wanted to show off that's Van Damme undoubtedly in the screenplay. I must have a pinky ring. <laughs> that's a wrong impression, isn't it? I got to do a French <laughs> that, that accent. That was more a Schwarzenegger. I don't really know what a French accent do. I'll have to work on that. I have a, a pinky ring. And, but this uh, woman uh, is so hot. And at the end, when he finally wins, do you see how heavy she's breathing? <sighs> She's breathing heavier than he is. He's yeah. the one who just had the fight. She does a really good job of playing the unwelcome seductress. It's kind of uncomfortable, but you're right, hot at the same time. And she's always wearing, and this is pure early 90s style too, the very high cut stuff that comes up way above your hips. It's the same outfit I wear these days when I work out. Just those straight spandexy, gauzy stockings and a high cut. Not just working out. All the Walk time. around town. It's my go-to. Right now, you're it wearing. accentuates my calves. So, what can I say? <laughs> your shapely ass. <laughs> my shapely ass. Or a shapely chest for you, shapely ass for me. That's yeah, true. You got me beaten that department. <laughs> she really adds to it. So, this is a very scorable movie. She's a pretty good villain, too. Not really a villain, per se. Although, at the end, she gets her just desserts because she can't cover her bet against him. And then yeah. you know that she's going to be, I don't know, maybe killed, have fingers broken. We really have to go back to the beginning of this movie because there's so much stuff I want to talk yeah, about. Yeah, let's get it. him escaping the French Forge. But Legion, before yeah. we do that, just because you mentioned the villain that she plays in this movie, although not truly a villain, but still, there is a moment towards the latter part of this movie where Van Damme relocates his family to the house that he and Joshua are staying at. And then you hear a honk out front. And this is just before we find out that Cynthia is going to set Van Damme up to lose because she plans to bet against him. It's Joshua walking in saying, hey, we got to go. You'll never guess who's out front. And then cut to inside the car and Cynthia giving the most super villain-esque manic laugh I've <laughs> ever seen in the movie. Full-on belly <laughs> laugh. 
with Leon, JCVD's character, sitting uncomfortably across from her, followed up shortly thereafter by her saying, loosen up, and then the bodyguard Russell character saying, if this goes well, we'll all be set for life. And then both he and Cynthia both go, So maybe not all of her performance is great. It's more of her presence and her look that's great, I think. And that's not a good example of good acting, I guess. I guess not, but it was still awesome. Anyway, you were talking about his clothing, right? So he's in the Foreign Legion. With that beret pounding a stake out front for some reason of this mm-hmm. base. He's he fi- chopping wood. He's chopping wood and finds out that his brother has been savagely mutilated by street thugs in LA. Since this is a Halloween podcast, sort of, and we'll get to if we didn't say already, did we talk yeah. about this? We're going to talk about our favorite horror films and favorite horror movie yeah. moments for me at the end of the podcast instantly. But this is a horror movie moment in a way because this drug dealer lights the guy on fire two minutes in. Yep. Horrendous. Pretty good fire stunt too. And one of the things that I will pick on with this movie is the way that it sets stuff up and never pays it off. In this case, you see this guy caught in a drug deal. We're never told what the heck happens, right? He's trying to buy drugs. He tests it. The stuff is bad. And then the guy's selling him the bad stuff, just light him on fire, Mm -hmm. douse him in gas and light him on fire. And it turns out that's Van Damme's brother. He's clinging to life. He eventually dies before Van Damme can get to LA. I like that touch, actually. Doesn't have that last even... Eight seconds with his brother. Nope, doesn't happen at all. You hear that he's hung on for weeks waiting. Take care of my family. Ah. None of that. Good. He hung on for weeks, but wasn't able to stay alive long enough. Van Damme's now made his way to L.A. The street thugs have killed his brother for meaningless reasons. Surely they'll be revenged now. And, hey, Doc, did they catch the guys that did it? Yep, they caught him. They're in custody. And that was it. And then you never address that again. Why did we have to see this savage beating and immolation of his brother? Because it means nothing, effectively. All you need to know is that his brother died. Yeah, except when you see something like that, it gives him such motivation to go AWOL. But he doesn't know. All he knows is his brother was injured, right? It's not like Van Damme was ever there. Van Damme never even saw his brother. All he got was the letter from his brother's wife saying he's hurt. I've only ever seen this movie this one time. This is the third movie we've covered this year alone that I'd never seen before. Yeah, I'm bringing Bringing on your horizons, right? Bringing on was one and Ready to Rumble is another one. So you know more about than I do. I will educate you, sir. Okay. So anyway, that's talk like about him breaking out. We just watched the clip, so you can definitely yeah. highlight a lot of that stuff for us right now. We cut to Van Damme in the middle of an African desert in the Foreign Legion. Djibouti. Djibouti. Northern Africa. This is the 90s, or late 80s at the very least. You would think they would have the ability to call this base at some point and say, hey, Legionnaire Van Damme's brother is in critical condition. The military had some sort of rudimentary internet, too. Yeah, I'm sure they did, but... Apparently, all they can do is send letters, and even then, the adjutant of the base says, I don't care if your brother is dying. Screw you. You're the Foreign Legion. You're staying here. He only has, what is it, six months to go? Yeah, you got six months to go. Don't make it six years. This guy's brother is dying. I think you need two weeks hard labor. All mm-hmm. he wants to do is go and visit his brother before he passes away. You can't blame Van Damme for wanting to break out. For going after Billy Blanks? For going after Billy Blanks. Like a small role in the beginning, the Tybo guy, who's credited as African Legionnaire. Not only was he going to get two weeks hard labor, apparently they're going to put him in the tin box too. They're about yeah. to throw him in the box in the middle of the desert. Bridge in the River Kwai kind of thing there. Yeah. Colonel Nicholson. It's a very cool hand Luke. Or a cool hand Luke even more yeah. so. Exactly. Your mother died and we think you're going to try to break out to go to the funeral. So instead you go to the box. You didn't even do anything wrong. It's basically convincing him, well, I guess I am going to break out now. They didn't count on Van Damme and his will to kick everyone's ass and yes. break out of there. So of course, Fighting solo ninja style. They all attack him one by one. Yeah. And payoff number two that never happens. He does kick everyone's ass, including Billy Blanks, which we both know is hard as hell. He steals a jeep, takes off into the desert towards the unnamed coast slash docks. Just a clothes on his back and his pinky ring. Yep. No beret anymore either. 
and you get the voiceover of the adjutant saying, well, they send another jeep after him first and foremost, right? But right. he'll never make it if the bugs don't kill He's him. He's as good as dead anyway. <laughs> the desert will. So A, he's in a Jeep, and a Jeep had just driven to the base with the mail. You can drive to and from it. That's not that hard. So he's got a Jeep that just disappears, and we never find out what happens Maybe to the Jeep. Maybe ran out of gas. Maybe ran out of gas. About as soon as the adjutant finishes his whole thing about he'll never make it, but send some guys to the docks just in case, cut to Van Damme looking at the ocean. He's already made it. We never get any scenes of him dying of thirst. No, you see one little shot of him stumbling a little bit in the desert. I noticed that. Yeah. He's stumbling in the but desert. But only for a second. For a second, but immediately resolved. You don't see any of the bugs that are apparently problematic. You don't really get the heat of the desert because he's stumbling at night where he's wearing the garb around his head at yeah. night for some reason. And then he gets on the ship and he's immediately changed into some incredibly well-fitted 1940s sailor outfit that yeah. he got from I don't know where. And going to America without ID or money or a green card, as they point out in the movie, you've got none of those things yet somehow still gets on the boat in the first place. Yeah, so unpaid off trouble number two is the desert because we never really see him struggle through that hurdle. It could be a budget issue. They probably didn't want to have to shoot all could that. Be. We got the gist. He's out in the middle of nowhere. The one line, he'll never make it. And because he beats every other odd in this movie, he beats that odd too. Yeah. He gets on the ship and gets to New York where he finds out, oh, this isn't L.A. What are you doing, Mr. First Mate? You tricked me. And the first mate's like, oh, what are you going to do? You don't have any papers. I'll do it the easy way or something. And he needlessly punches the first mate in the gut and then dives overboard. Immediately, trouble number three is overcome. (laughs) Stumbles across this underground fighting, which is why we're calling this an MMA movie. Yes. That was just dumb luck. That was dumb luck. He stumbles across the MMA ring. He beats the tar out of some guy. Gets convinced to fight again for the rich lady this time. Mm-hmm. A lot tougher competition in the real fights, the underground well, fights. So we're told, except he one-shots the guy in the nuts and it's I all like over. that. Got to give a bit of a tip of the hat to this movie because that kind of thing does happen. Okay. MMA fights, not necessarily you can't do... Can you do... I don't think you can do ball shots, can you? No, but in this one... But they, you can get a grip on a guy, a hold on a guy, and four seconds later it's over. They make a point in that fight of saying, okay, you guys know the rules, there are no rules, right? But first, the guy that he does one-shot in the nuts had ended his own fight just minutes prior by full-on kicking his previous opponent in the nuts. So you'd think you'd be aware, Uh, okay, maybe I should protect myself and not go for the immediate high kick that exposes the whole gonadal area. (laughs) But throughout the movie, when Cynthia is trying to convince Leon to fight again, right? Because he goes out to L.A. after winning that second fight, and he says, I don't want to fight anymore. Well, you have to fight. Finally finds his family, yeah. Yeah. Stalks them. And Cynthia keeps saying, yes, stalks them. Cynthia keeps saying, you know, they're still talking about that fight in New York. Lady, it was over in two seconds. He one-shot the guy and it was done. Why was that the interesting fight? You could have done that to the guy. I could have done that. You're not an MMA fighter. I could be. I couldn't have done that to the guy, I don't think. But you could have. It made me wonder if maybe they filmed fights out of order. The next fight in the movie with the Scotsman is this knockdown, drag-out brawl. They're fighting. A a circle of cars, all their lights on. Yeah, so through windshield, beating each other with broken-off antennas and stuff. That would be talked about. Yeah, exactly. So maybe they filmed that with the intention of using it for the New York scene because both took place in nondescript garages, right? I think they shot everything in New York with Van Damme and the other actors in L.A. Because apparently it's a shot of some Carl's Jr., I believe, which apparently at that time in the early 90s, late 80s, was only on the West Coast. But I noticed that it said oh, Carl's really? Jr. And I didn't know how... But there's no chain like that up in Canada. I don't think we've ever had a Carl's Jr. before. If we have, I've never seen one. No. They do the establishing shots, the Statue of Liberty, second unit, and I guess the actors never went to New York. I don't think they did, at least. So it was all L.A. stuff. Yeah, because Carl's Jr. and Hardee's... We yeah. have Harvey's. Hardee's and Carl's Jr. are the same company, but I think west of the Mississippi, it's all Carl's uh, Jr. And east is all Hardee's. So it's a bit of a giveaway. Yeah. And I noticed, I did not know that touch that it's only on the west coast, or in, like you said, the west part of the country, but I still noticed it in the background, walking past it when he's supposed to be in New York. 
But that's happened in so many movies where New York or L.A. are the reverse, or there's some other city altogether. Or Toronto, of course, is supposed to be New York and so on. How do you think they actually got to L.A.? After he wins that second fight... I guess they drove. Yeah, but he's wearing the same clothes. He never stops to get new clothes. Oh, yeah, of course, that's true, too. No, they could have flown, actually, because he made quite a bit of money. He didn't have thousands of dollars. But he has no ID. And even if you're flying, right. flying domestically, you still have to have a piece of ID to get on the plane, yeah, even in back the 90s. Then, yeah. And he's not even American. That's another thing I'll give credit to this movie, that Arnold, so often in his movies, Arnold, would just be an American in his films. <laughs> My name is Carl Smith. <laughs> I'm from New York. I grew up here. <laughs> It's like Tommy Wiseau said he was from, was it Louisiana? The guy from The Room? <laughs> no, you're not. But Arnold so often played characters that were just supposed to be American. But at least JCVD in this, I don't know his other movies. I've only seen maybe three of them in total, and I can't remember the last time I even saw one. I think I saw Bloodsport a long time ago. He's playing a French guy, so credit for that. Kudos to that. And also because he has to make this long journey. I yeah. like that. It was a good thing that he's not just playing some guy in America. Maybe he's an East Coaster in the setting on fire thing happened on the west coast and he's got to make a trip across no he's got to come from a different part of the world and then to the wrong part of the country and then yes we don't see him travel i think again budget issues i would have loved it though if joshua offhandedly in the first shot in la turns to leon or jcpd and says wow that was a heck of a drive eh? <laughs> yeah! ah, but we're here now so. so sore and tight glad i'm out of that car now one of the last things we see in new york after the second fight both joshua and leon have five grand in their pocket we're told from the gambling winnings but no time for clothes no time for clothes they demand to be let out of cynthia's limo and i guess the terrible part of new york in the 90s we're led to believe so we're looking for a telephone and joshua's like hey We'll use that phone over there in that dark alley. And they start walking towards it. And there's a milk trucky looking thing parked in the alley. The guy who's not sitting in the front seat of this van that's just randomly parked somewhere. He's half leaning in it. And the second they walk into view, he does the most dramatic fall out of the driver's side door. Peer at them for about five seconds before banging on the back of the van. And immediately outpour five shirtless gang toughs. Are you talking about the street fight now? The street fight. Which ends with that great line with the one punk, today's your lucky day, punk. And then runs away. And yes, they were definitely self-aware on that one. I want to have a shot of those five gang toughs hanging out in the back of a van, poised and ready. (laughs) Wait for their cue. Can't we wait in the street, boss? We're leaning up against the wall. No! You'll encroach in this van. It'll happen. Just wait. Just wait. I gotta pee. I gotta pee. Yeah, just poise. Because they waste no time. The second he bangs on that van, they all pour out. Weapons in hand, ready Mm. to go. Or the guy in the front seat who says, how am I going to do this for maximum effect when some mark walks into our alley? Do I just sit here and and then honk the horn? No, that's not good for dramatic effect. What if I stand by the side of the... No, that's not good either. What if I just dramatically lean off to the side and... There's so many dramatic choices that were made in that mm. one scene. It felt like something at a West Side Story. Like I half expected them to come <laughs> pouring out of the van, snapping their when fingers. When you're a thug, you're, you're a thug, thug go the way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that and the final line of that thing is when Joshua's got the corded phone wrapped around the gang leader's neck and is beating him with it and then turns to Van Damme. You want to use the phone? No, I'm good. Thanks, man. Cute. The one-liners that were prevalent in these kinds of movies back then. The Schwarzenegger, Stallone, JCVD, of course, yeah. And Predator? Yeah, that's from Predator, isn't it? Yeah, That's from Predator. I've got to see Predator again instantly. All right, so we're talking about MMA in a way. Yes. Kind of underground fighting. Bit of a stretch. And that does lead me into my nutshell. The first rule of Lionheart is you do not talk about Lionheart. I guess we have to break that rule because we've been talking about it for 20 minutes. (laughs) This is such a Fight Club movie in those sequences. Just like it's also a Karate Kid movie a lot of the time. And it's before Fight Club. But after Karate Kid. 
it's like one of those secret niche underground fighting rings. Oh, they could talk about it, but I just want to refer to the fact that in Fight Club, it's effectively the same thing. It's more brutal in Fight Club. This movie's got blood and guts here and there, but it's not really violent in the sense of blood being everywhere. Again, it kind of fits our theme on Halloween of having a bloody movie. Yeah. But Fight Club is way more graphic when it gets graphic, at least. There's not that much fighting in Fight Club. It's kind of misnamed in a way. But the one sequence, especially where Jared Leto gets his face destroyed. The bloodiest this movie gets, I think, is probably in the final fight between Attila and Van Damme. Attila's face is just coated in blood, and Van Damme's all cut up and bleeding as well. And I did appreciate the fact that after he loses, or he wins the fight, sorry, and gets dragged away by the legionnaires that have been sent to America to retrieve him. And those guys, by the way, are really nice to let him fight, but they need entertainment too. The leader of that duo clearly is meant to hate Van Damme's guts for beating him up he was one of the guys who got beat up in the desert right when the mm-hmm. van damme escapes and then they get beat up again when they try to like, take him in in the alley so at that point he's just like yes can we watch and then ha 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 yes how do they explain to their superiors if he got killed or even badly hurt i don't think they have to how do they explain that they didn't bring him back well they could say they couldn't find him but once he's been hurt in this underground fight situation with a lot of witnesses kind of hard to cover that up to their French Foreign Legion bosses. I don't think anything about the whole French Foreign Legion thing actually holds up as far as the plot point goes. So after that scene, they drag him away. They're all very impressed by the heart he showed in that final fight that he was having for the benefit of his sister-in-law and niece, right? Because if they could change... And you could change. It's got that vibe. Everybody could change. That the slow clapping from the Legionnaire. I just want to say to my niece, who shouldn't be watching at home with her new bike... Yo, niece, I did it! It's a Rocky movie too, isn't it, in a lot of ways? It really is, that final scene. I was thinking exactly that, Rocky Four when I was watching You mean the very last scene, though, this movie? Almost ruined it for me. I'll give the score right now. I'd say a soft six. Eight and out, first time we ever scored a movie, I said a soft seven, leaning towards a six, because I was disappointed in a lot of things about it. Didn't think it was as good as I thought it was before. This one, never having seen it before, I expected it to be a four or a five. So a soft six is a compliment. But it would have been a seven had it not been for the fact they let him go! Come on! I don't mind. He went AWOL! That's serious in the military, man. Those guys are going to lose their jobs. They're going to be put in the brig. <laughs> a, the fact that they allowed him to go back and visit his niece doesn't make a lot of sense to begin with. The fact that they made no effort to clean his face. Nobody offers him a rag or a tissue to wipe <laughs> all of the blood off. Oh, you're going to see your five-year-old niece? You look great. So he's leaning down, having a heart-to-heart with her, just streaming blood. It's the most <laughs> upsetting thing. And Chrissy the- Seaver can't handle that. That's who she is. That's the yeah. actress who played Chrissy on Growing Pains. Yeah, that's right. This is her right. first movie. She was actually pretty good for a five-year-old actress. And then afterwards, okay, it's time to go, Leon. Get in the car. Then they clean up his face. And did you notice they get him in the car, they pile in the back seat, and they peel out, just floor it for some reason, and then go half a block and then let him go, which was totally nonsensical. If you've decided in half a block that you're going to let him go, you already knew you are going to let him go. So or you're very impulsive. Or you're very impulsive. So just don't take him. It was one of those scenes that kind of ruined the ending because it was just so clearly... Definitely ruined the ending. So that he could come running back in a dramatic fashion afterwards. But it was Let just him have so a final silly. hug with them. And say, I'll see you somewhere in the line. I would grant them that. That's fine. This is a guy who also was, as I said before, stalking his niece and his sister-in-law. He's not out to hurt them. But it's the kind of thing that really hasn't aged very well in our modern era. He's not going to do anything wrong. We know that. But how do they necessarily know that? The sister-in-law doesn't know him at all, I think, at that point. Has she ever met him before? Must have heard about him. We know she hates him, right? Because he gets to L.A., he finds her. She's not happy to see him. No, but not just that. Before he goes up to the apartment to talk to her, you hear the landlord yelling at her, give me whatever $400 by the end of the week or you're out on your ass. 
And then he goes up to the apartment, tries to speak to her, and tries to give her what money he has. And she just blisters him. Nice of you to show up. He defected from the Foreign mm-hmm. Legion in Africa, came here, stowed away on a ship, literally fought his way across the country mm-hmm. to get here, and you won't even hear him out. Your brother is dead because you got him involved in that shit. And we don't really know what that shit is. It's implied that it's somehow drug-related. He took that stuff to Amsterdam, and then... Van Damme says, I told the police it was mine because my brother would never survive in jail. He was too smart. You were pregnant. And and her response to him taking the fall, I don't know if the implication there was there was a drug deal in Europe somewhere that Van Damme's brother was suspected of being a part of. So Van Damme confessed to it on his behalf, took the fall, and was then sentenced to forced service in the Foreign Legion. He's going to Djibouti. He takes the fall for his brother's fuck-up. And yet he's still the bad guy. And her response to that is, well, maybe you should have let him go to jail because then he wouldn't have died on the street. Lady, what do you want from this guy? Mm-hmm. So she's an ass, but he's still stalking her. And like any good stalker, he eventually wears her down. It's a heartwarming tale of stalker, stalky <laughs> love at first sight. Now, we didn't get our usual training montage in this movie, Ryan, but what we did get when at long last, after God knows how many days of wearing that same sailor's outfit that not only did Van Damme fight in, but he was stoking boilers in for Mm -hmm. weeks, I'm sure, across the Atlantic. Well, the shirt didn't get too dirty because he was always shirtless. That's true. It was (laughs) hot down there, so that is understandable. (laughs) I I love the close-in on a single peck while he's shoveling coal. Gotta show that tattoo on his chest as well. Listen, he's a sculpted man. I'm jealous. Apparently in some scenes that tattoo is not there, in other scenes it is. The lion. It kind of fades a little bit. I think the paint... They forgot as well sometimes, I guess. Did you notice, by the way, that when they show the spelling... Oh, the odds board at the end? It says Lionheart with the spelling of his actual name. I was actually impressed with that touch, too, that it didn't say Lionheart the way the movie's spelled. Because his name is L-Y-O-N, Leon. And that's what it's spelled. Leon Lion, yeah. So we should be calling this movie Leonheart. Well, it made me wonder, because I noticed exactly the same thing. Why didn't the movie call itself Lionheart with a Y? Or Leon Art. You don't pronounce H's in France. Cœur de Leon. There you I, think, go. I think that's hard, right? We're calling Could. it something. Well, actually, it was called Wrong Bet in the Netherlands and Australia. And JCVD does say Wrong Bet in the big fight. I guess he finds out that yeah, Cynthia bet against him. No, Joshua. Oh, that's what it is, right. He they, says, Cynthia bet against me, I know it. And then Joshua eventually says, stay down. He does like the Mickey thing. Stay down. Or is it Rocky to Apollo? Stay down. Stay down. He's going to no, kill Mickey says you. in Rocky one, stay down, stay down. Yeah. And then Joshua finally says, man, we'll split the money. The money's on Attila. And then he goes, Wrong Bet. I was sure that at the end of it all, Joshua was going to say, I lied, man. It was all like a motivational thing. The money was on you. We're rich. Right? Because he was the underdog. So it was a scam. He's actually going against his buddy. Yeah. He's pretty honorable otherwise. Hell, he's part of the hug circle at the end with the family. We don't get the training montage that you might get out of a Rocky. He's already trained. We do get the shopping montage. Pretty Pretty woman-esque. Pretty (laughs) woman-esque. Just not even a year after that movie came out. This was the early part of 1991. Such groovy fashions. And we even get the scene of him. Pretty Frenchman. (laughs) Buying clothes with Cynthia, pretty Frenchman. You know what would have really impressed me, Ryan, if you could have sung that in French? <laughs> what would it be? Jeune well, Belle is Francais a lady thing, right? Homme. So, beau, le beau. I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to embarrass myself if I try to translate that. So, yeah, we get the montage complete with the scene of him in some kind of... Tiny underwear? Tiny underwear. He won't let her see him fully naked. He's really demure about that. Needs a robe when she comes in to his hotel room, does the pull-downs. You may gaze upon my fantastic But when I'm wearing underwear that just barely covers my dick and doesn't really cover anything else, not fine. Come on in the room and take a look. See what's going on. (laughs) Just grab me by the crotch. How does he not take this woman when she's just throwing herself at him and she's worthy at that point of his attention and his affection? But supposedly he's too good for that. He's got to be heroic. This is also a man that has just come off of... 
Yes, right. Multiple, Probably no women. Multiple years. I actually had to look up the Foreign Legion a little bit because at the beginning of the movie, the adjutant that has it in for him, he had a German accent. He's saying Shiza and things like that. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure if that was a mistake or not, but apparently the Foreign Legion, you don't have to be French. You can sign up as long as you're willing to serve. Apparently, the Foreign Legion owes no allegiance to France. If you're a legionnaire in the Foreign Legion, you don't swear allegiance to France. You swear allegiance to the Foreign Legion. So when the adjutant goes after him and says, this man's a traitor to France, that's not really true. Their service time is five years by default, apparently. So he has six months left to go. He was there for four and a half years in the middle of the desert. Presumably no women around. This man has got to have the worst case of blue balls. And yet, you go to America, you have this beautiful woman doing everything in her power to seduce you. And she's bankrolling him also. And in like a beautiful hotel. And And she bets against him at the end, but that hadn't happened yet. And that's not the end of the world anyway. His own buddy did it. Yeah, exactly. Joshua did it. We're calling her a villain. Maybe she's not really that much of a villain. Van Damme in this movie has a will of steel. I don't know any... Maybe he's not as maybe, maybe he's not he likes the fellows. Maybe he does. We know absolutely nothing about the man's sexuality in this movie, so maybe he does. That might be the most logical explanation, actually, when it's all said and done. Because otherwise, I'm with you. I don't understand how he can fend her off the way he does. It's not movie. like he's holding himself out for Ashley Johnson's character Nicole, because that's a sister-in-law, and it's not even implied in any way that well, I'll take over from my brother or anything weird like that. That would be one thing if she was going to be his love interest. It can't be that oh, you had sex with her. Nicole's just your family. It doesn't matter if you slept with somebody else. I dearly hope you are right about this, that he's not holding himself out for Nicole because Nicole was his five-year-old niece in this movie. It's Helen. That's right, Lisa Pelican. So if Van Damme is secretly interested in his five-year-old niece and that's why he's not mm-hmm. pursuing Cynthia, that's a whole other the cracks of weird and wrong. The cracks are showing in a movie where I don't know it that well. Yeah. <laughs> Character names. And not very famous actors either. Lisa Pelican didn't do that much acting either in other films. I probably saw her in some bit part in TV. It's the same thing with Harrison Page, the guy that plays Joshua. Yeah, He's one of a lot those, of TV. A lot of TV. A yeah, yeah. ton of that. I didn't, by the way, tell you the Rotten Tomatoes numbers. Only 27% of critics like this film. It's one of the worst numbers I've ever reported. Only four fresh reviews out of the, I think it's 15 on there. It's not that many. 4.1 out of 10. I looked, Roger Ebert didn't review it. Probably didn't get screened for critics. I bet that's what that's all about. But 52% of audiences. Most JCVDs, I looked them up. You just go to an actor's name on Rotten Tomatoes and you can see every movie they've ever been in or directed yeah. or whatever. Most of them got bad reviews. His movie, JCVD, I think got good reviews, though. And that was fun. That JCVD is film. good. I don't remember it at all, but I know I saw it and I remember enjoying it. It is a very self-aware jabbing at himself and some of his quirks and failures in his life. But I'm not surprised that the critics hated this movie because, as anybody could tell by the way we're picking apart the details of it, a lot of it doesn't necessarily make sense when you think about it. It's not terribly well choreographed or filmed. And it makes more sense that the audiences would like it, but... A number around 50% makes perfect sense to me. I bet you there's half the audience that looks at this and watches it and is like, that was kind of stupid, but it was kind of fun. You walk away feeling, all right, I've seen a lot worse in an hour and a half than this. Whereas the other half of the people watching it, I'm sure, just think, well, it made no sense. The characters were largely idiots. They didn't act logically. The action wasn't even good. I get that too. So it depends on what you're looking for. And for me, this movie is bad, but it's the exact correct type of bad to appeal to me probably just based on when I grew up. I would have been 10 years old when this movie came out. I'm sure right. I saw it about the time it came out on VCR. And part of the point of this podcast originally was you wanted to cover movies like this you saw way back then and see what you think of them as yeah. an older Chris. Yeah. And when I texted you about doing this, you did not hesitate. Yes, let's do that. And I was just musing about the possibility. I ran out into my backyard and screamed to the heavens, <laughs> Lionheart! <laughs> Leonard! <laughs> Leonard! <laughs> oh, so happy. 
I think the depiction of the sport is fine. There's so many fights every couple of minutes. Never been in a fight in my life. I don't know anything about it. Certainly never done anything MMA-wise, so I thought it was okay. You're saying it was shot badly. Some of them were. I'm guessing Bloodsport, don't remember that at all, was shot a lot better. Yeah. Since that movie's so much about fights, way more than this is supposed to be. This is more of a drama with that, although there's a lot of fighting. Bloodsport, I'm guessing, is constant fighting, isn't it? I don't think it's constant, but oh, okay. also I haven't seen it in a couple of years. I enjoyed the variation that they threw into this as far as the fighters that they portrayed. Your street brawlers, you got the Scotsman who's a bit of a brawler, but also the ground submission guy. Yep. The weird, long-haired pool fight. The karate dude who's dancing around and he scratches JCV in the... Right. Da- oh, my beautiful face! They my- find a squash court at one point. Oh, that Other made two me other guys. I'm watching that. We've just I- been playing that lately. Did it Sacred be- Ground! If they had done this, I would have loved this movie forever. I'm going to love it forever anyway. But <laughs> if they had had Van Damme and his opponent wearing squash shoes, non-marking court <laughs> shoes in that fight. Or even the goggles. Or even the goggles. <laughs> I don't care if they smash the glass in the back of the court. You do not mark up the floor of a squash court, Ryan. That is <laughs> verboten. You don't do it. The fighting was interesting. Even the final fight. And I think the first thing I messaged you about when we started to text about doing this movie was going on to YouTube and watching that final fight between Attila and Van Damme Mm -hmm. because it's got a lot of the quirks that I think the first Rocky movie has. If you watch the fight at all closely, you can see the fists missing each other by a good six to eight inches at times. And of course, like we talked about already, the sound design is not great. So when the fist swings by and then a second later, you get the (laughs) the reactions don't quite add up. Sheldon Lettich, what's wrong with you? Yeah, and, Maybe you're not directing movies anymore for a good reason. Well, not just that, but Van Damme himself being an actual martial artist. And hell, Attila, he was, a, I think, a boxer more so than a martial mm. artist. But like I said, they knew each other from training. In... They should be able to get awfully close, a lot closer yeah. than you. It's still a fun fight. And I really liked Attila's reactions to the whole thing. The slow points and the you kind of moments. Mm. But just because as bad as the sideburns and the mullet were... It really did evoke an Andre the Giant vibe. And Andre the Giant's shtick, of course, at least in his latter career, was not so much the athleticism. It was more the plodding giant. You lay his hands around the opponent's neck and you're screwed kind of moment. You're not going to move me. You might hit me as hard as you want and it's not going to happen. So I assume that's what they were going for in this movie because Attila's the guy that takes a ton of punishment, much like Ivan Drago in Rocky IV, right? You just can't beat the guy until, of course you're properly motivated, and then he goes down real easy. Despite going in with a broken rib in the first place, Rocky, Hamilton Rocky, Leon does, and somehow still wins. He really shouldn't, but... But that was still a cute moment. You know he's going to. The first time he takes a little bit of a hit to that side with the broken rib, Attila makes the point of, oh, and pointing at the broken rib and wagging his finger like, oh, you should not have come into this fight injured. He's right. A lot of movies would not have the villain acknowledge the injury. It would Mm -hmm. just be the audience knowing that the hero was injured. And the fact that Attila tries to punish the injured side of JCVD, Mm. those kinds of things were done well. It's just kind of the amusing choreographic... I don't know, shortcomings. More so of the era, I think, than anything else, than this movie specifically. JCVD, by the way, should have gone to the hospital right after this, considering all those things. Fighting this guy if he was fully healthy, but going in with a badly broken rib or whatever it is, a bruised rib at least, and then the guy hurts him even worse. But somehow he's able to get in the back of that car with the French Legionnaire guys are supposed to take him off. So maybe they go to the hospital, supposedly, but instead let's go hug the family. Maybe as soon as the movie's over, as he's hugging his family, he says... Okay, let's go to the hospital. <laughs> Good to see you, but I'm badly hurt. Were you surprised as I was that Dr. Cheech didn't take the time to like prescribe him some painkillers or something? <laughs> he shows up to like the stereotypical, 
I mean, it really was a Cheech Marin knockoff. Hey, Ohms, you got a broken rib, man. Mm. Oh, Mang. Man. Sorry, man. That was terrible. We're not doing good accents today. And he hands him 100 bucks. says, don't tell anyone about my broken rib. And you don't even get some painkillers from the guy. You don't get a He's little, too tough for that. Pot. He doesn't get sex. And he doesn't kill his pain with <laughs> drugs, man. He's way above that. But he does go AWOL, which in the military is so verboten. So how's that beer you're about to finish right there? <sighs> it's delicious. All right. It's, it's one you've had before. I see a tank on the front of it there. It's... Enough to go AWOL for, Ryan. Good coloring on the can. Again, you do choose good colored cans. Oh, it's also black and orange. Very appropriate for today. Black, white, orange. Good colors. Almost looks like a tank rolling over the desert, right? In the dust clouds in the background. I'm just thinking about Halloween, though. Yeah. Because we're recording this two weeks before that, but it's going to go up on Halloween Day. What was your grade for this film? I said a very soft 6 out of 10, but it would have been higher had it not been for that bullshit ending. The ending takes away from it a little bit for me. JCVD has a specific way of fighting in these movies. Hit the guy and hold, flexed, pause, yeah, Loves the roundhouse kicks. Loves the roundhouse kicks. Early JCVD for me is a lot of fun. I love Deborah Renard, the one that plays Cynthia. Cynthia yeah. She's a fantastic seductress type character in this movie. I love Joshua. I love the ridiculousness of everything in this movie. I love how many pleats the pants have. <laughs> Russell, Cynthia's number two slash bodyguard slash whatever. There's one shot of the front of his pants, and it is just one enormous pleat. It's just pleat after pleat after pleat. It's so great. I'd go with 7 out of 10 as well. It's definitely... Well, I thought you were going to say 8 or 9, the way you're building that up. It's a flawed movie, and hell, I go 8. You okay. convinced me, Ryan. I go 8. Since we just started actually scoring movies two weeks ago on 8 Men Out, yeah. maybe the favorite one we've covered of all these 37 podcasts so far, 37 episodes, Field of Dreams. Yes. Right, would you rate that? Just so we have a perspective on what your highest number could be. Do you it, go 10? No. I go at least nine. I wouldn't go ten. One thing we should do is, if we're going to start doing this consistently, is just qualify. This rating is not, a, from my perspective, it's not a commentary not... on all of the very objective qualities of the movie. Yes. Like, I'm not talking that it's a perfect script. I'm not talking that the cinematography is great. This is my personal enjoyment, yeah. opinion. It's fair. Yeah, I think yeah. that's fair. Yeah. So Field of Dreams for me is like a nine and a half. Almost a ten, okay. Almost a ten. because I'm about, I'm about the same spot you are with that, yeah. And Hoosiers the, is about the same for me. At least an eight and a half, if not a nine. Hoosiers, I might go slightly lower than this. You didn't like that as much as I did as well. In the case of Field of Dreams, it is, I think, in many objective senses, a great movie, but it also evokes the emotion that you want out of that, right? It's a very touching movie. In the case of Lionheart, it is a silly hour and a half of mindless action fun movie, and they try to incorporate some dramatic elements into it that I don't think, for the most part, work very well. But for what it does in the action front, I think it's fun and very silly. That's why I give it the eight. You mentioned Hoosiers. That, for me, is somewhere in between. It has a lot more successful dramatic elements incorporated into it, but it's still, in many respects, a very silly movie, especially when you talk about some of the action on the court. Maybe it's because of when you experience the movie as well. I've seen this movie as a young man, and it has that nostalgic place in my heart. I didn't have that connection to Hoosiers, and so for me, personally, it doesn't have the same impact. So Hoosiers is still a very good movie. I'd still give it like a seven and a half to eight. But we know you can go as high as nine and a half on Field of Dreams. That's what I want to know. Is yeah. Do you give a nine to a movie? And there you I go. would absolutely give it That's a, definitely one of the favorite I don't know what I would give a ten to. Sports Especially or sports otherwise. Movie. Sports or otherwise. There aren't that many sports movies that are worthy of a nine or a ten, really, to be honest with you. No. Like them or not. And this wasn't even really a sports movie, but we jammed it in here. We could have done Warrior, because that is MMA for sure. Absolutely MMA. But it yeah. wasn't free. You know, given, it was on Amazon. Given that we haven't been scoring movies throughout, when we hit number 50 of the podcast or something, we should take a few minutes to give... Rank our, the ones we've done? 
not necessarily rank all of them, but give our respective maybe top five or top ten scores and why okay. we, we gave it that. You know, just to yeah. quickly breeze through and kind of like a little bit of a retrospective over the first 50 episodes. Fair enough. Right? Well, people do that in podcasts a lot, whether yeah. it be 50 or 100 or whatever. Well, we're talking about ranking stuff, so let's get into the horror movie conversation. Okay. okay. I thought I was going to find something more interesting than this, but people who've been listening to me talk for six and a half years, if they've followed this podcast, I assume they have. It's on the same channel, same download opportunities and all that kind of thing, same website, topandhorrorproject.com. I just picked the ones, I've probably mentioned them many times as some of my favorites. I don't even know if these are my five favorites. And one of them, I argued on the podcast many years ago with Bev that it wasn't even a horror film. And that would be Jaws. It doesn't really scare me anymore. Except then again, if I'm flipping around on TV and AMC seems to run the Jaws movies, all four of them, a lot. And if I went to a scene where the shark is up close in any of those films, it would probably give me a bit of the willies. I almost like that the shark looks fake in these movies. Yeah. More so than if it looked real. Because when you watch Shark Week, of course they're horrifying and terrifying. But then again, they get touched by these guys. The fake shark to me is almost more scary. Now, you've seen The Meg, right? Yeah, I wasn't scared at all by that. The unreal quality of the Jaws shark does give it an added layer of terror. I'm glad you agree. I do, but... When people say it looks fake, I think that helps. But I think there's a limit to that. And this is why I asked you about The Meg. Because part of what ruined The Meg for me was... That shark was so big and so over the top. It just seemed unreal to the point that I could no longer suspend disbelief. Yeah, 25-foot shark is terrifying enough. All right, so The Exorcist, still one of the great classic horror films. I might watch that tonight on Halloween. I haven't seen it in a couple of years. I know Bev's not a fan. It's one of the reasons we didn't cover it last year when it would have been she doesn't like the Exorcist. 45 years old. I don't think she does, and I didn't want her to shit on it, so that's why I didn't pick it. Okay. I think that's still got some of the best scares of all time, maybe because it mixes reality with craziness so much. There'll be a loud, freaky, weird scene, all the special effects, and then cut to silence. So I think that's one of the reasons that movie really holds up. And it also builds to its big scares a lot. The Shining, I know that's one of Bev's favorites. We covered that a few years ago. So many highlights. Everyone knows The Shining. I'm going to talk a few minutes from now about the best scare moments, and this is not really a scare moment for me now, but only because I've seen it so many times, is when Jack hits Dick with the axe. When's it going to happen? No, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Ah, bang. I've seen it so many times, it doesn't really freak me out anymore, but it did for the longest time. And it's still got some (laughs) of the great scares of all time, the twins and all the stuff, the woman in the bathroom. And then Jack just going nuts and trying to kill his own family. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, not that scary necessarily, but talk about influential and just so damn weird. I talked about that in the podcast a few weeks ago with Bev when Leatherface comes out and just grabs the girl so matter-of-factly, matter-of-factly just killing people who are breaking and entering into his house. Maybe that's one of the reasons why. And so many of the killings, just like in Midsummer earlier this year, are in broad daylight. One of the reasons that works so well. Did you I ever think. see Midsummer? Yeah. Bev and I might cover that next year because yeah. we loved Hereditary. Same director, Ari Aster. Ari Aster? We maybe will cover that next year after it's been a little while. We'll probably get it on demand or something by then. And mm-hmm. it'll be free. <laughs> my last movie of the five is a great one the first horror movie that Bev and I ever covered well I guess Frankenstein was because that was part of the top 100 yes. list that we originally did but the first one we chose for a not 100 project horror that is was Night of the Living Dead again so influential the zombie genre still so creepy not that scary but what a great ending when I saw that movie the first time I had no idea I don't care this movie's so old now it's 51 years old I'm going to spoil it is that all? 68. came out in 68. Oh, okay. That the guy who survives the night, they don't realize he's not a zombie, and they shoot him anyway because they think he is. And there's also a subtext. And they're not doing it on purpose, but white guys, a posse, shooting a black guy. So that isn't mm-hmm. all that scary. Neither is Texas Chainsaw, but the subtext is what works so well. We actually also have the new age of horror. And Bev and I have covered a ton of these already. It Follows, The Witch, The Babadook, Hereditary, Get Out. We've covered all of those. And there's about 10 or 20 more I could name. Just like a lot of foreign movies I didn't actually mention in this. There's some great scary movies out there that are from other countries. But I went with the more traditional ones. And yeah. the new age of horror has been unbelievable. Talk about depth that you can go into. The subtext. These guys nailed it. What are your five favorites? Or two or three? Or whatever you got. 
I'll give you five. And I should preface this by saying I'm not a big horror fan. Okay. Some of what comes to mind when I think about horror, at least for the movies that were either effective to me or the ones that I would actually go back and see again and again and again, are probably not the best movies. Maybe top of the list is Jaws. That's the first okay. one that comes to mind. Super effective. And part of that is the actual performances. Dude's name, I'm going to totally forget and do. Robert uh, Shaw's Quint. Robert Shaw. His whole monologue about the oh, yeah. dead eyes. One of the great it's, scenes of all time. It's fantastic mm-hmm. and super effective. Alien, the first yeah. Aliens movie, mm-hmm. is one of my absolute favorites. Aliens is still a great movie. Great action movie, though, more so than scary. Exactly. And I think part of the reason the first one's so scary is you get a lot less xenomorph time. It's more of the understood threat, but you don't see it. Right? So you I, never really see the full body. I don't think you ever see the full body. No, it's, it's almost in passing. When you get a freeze frame of the xenomorph suit from the first movie versus later movies, mm. you understand why. But nonetheless, it's a fantastic movie. Mm-hmm. The Evil Dead series, yeah, one through choice. three. The third one is my favorite, there's no question. The first one is awesome to watch because it goes for serious horror and yeah. fails. The second, <laughs> the second one finally I think it succeeds. It freaked out a friend of mine who was a big horror buff. The Evil Dead. I think when he was younger, like we're talking about Lionheart being a movie, oh, okay. like when you were younger. Because when I saw it as a grown man, I wonder why he liked it so much. I almost laughed a few of the times, but yes. I wouldn't deny that for a movie that cost them nine dollars to make, and amateur actors, despite Bruce Campbell turning into a B movie star, was he a D movie star? I guess it's B movie. B, yeah. That movie works basically. The second one's a better movie overall, and basically it remakes the first one. I saw it actually, I think, almost in reverse. I saw the third one first, okay. and what the hell is the movie? That, that... Army of Darkness. Army of Darkness, thank you. How did I buy And you on? were 12 or so when it came out? Yeah, I saw it a little bit later, but I freaking love that movie to this day, and it's basically because of Bruce Campbell's one-liners in that movie that I do. Once you understand that movie and its sensibility, and then you see the second one, and you understand, okay, here's where Ash comes from, and you still got that silliness... And then you watch the first one and you realize, that okay, when Evil Dead was made, it was made to be a serious movie, but clearly the filmmakers realized that audiences were kind of having fun with it more so than they were scared by it, and then it turned into this kind of silly horror. Well, Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell have a sense of humor, so that's of course. hard to quell that. And I'm glad yeah. they didn't. I love those three movies, okay. there's no question. What's next? The Ring. Yeah, the North American remake of Ringu. I've never seen Ringu. Even though I don't like horror movies, I don't love jump scares, I don't like any of that stuff. That one creeped you out? Yeah, they don't usually stick with me, but I saw The Ring when it released in theaters, and it stuck with me afterwards. The whole Samara character... Her crawling on TV is one of my great scare moments, I'll say right now. It's a great visual. It freaked me out that night when I came home. I did not love that movie as much as a lot of people did. Bev and I covered it a few years ago. It was more about the subtext. Naomi Watts is such a good actress. Not great in that movie, actually. Yeah. But some of the scare moments didn't freak me out exactly. But they're definitely effective and they're well done. Fifth movie, I'm going to give it a tie. I'm undecided. Five and six. Five and six. Between It, and I mean the original It, not the recent Oh, the TV series, okay. That scared the ever-living bejesus out of me. It still sticks with me. Or Arachnophobia. You got a spider thing? I got a spider thing, man. Okay, so whenever somebody mentions that movie, I don't relate to it, but I get why they have a problem with it. Because I'm never watching a snake movie. Never seen Anaconda. I've never seen Snakes You've in You've never seen the first Indiana Jones movie? Right? No, but I mean a movie that's about snakes. Yeah. You have a snake thing. I didn't know that. Oh, I didn't tell you that? No. Maybe not quite as much as it used to be. That's my phobia more than anything else, I guess. That and being unloved. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) Jesus. I just got really deep. Whoa. No, but it's snakes. So I'm not watching a movie that's all about that. As silly as snakes in the plane might be. So if we were to continue the horror movie list, six on your list would be something like Love Actually then for you? It is for Bev. (laughs) She hates that movie. Anyway, so those would probably be my top five slash I think all pretty good choices, actually. And most of them are available on demand, or people own them probably at this point. Netflix surely has some of these movies we've mentioned. All right, so some of the great scare moments. I've mentioned, I think, all these before in our podcast over the years. Psycho, which Bev and I covered 
Again, it used to be more effective than it is now, like the ring with her crawling the TV. But when Norman Bates comes down to the basement at the end, dresses his mother, my skin used to crawl. Maybe because the music playing that ring, ring, ring. Oh, that thought... always used to really get me. You're not talking about the shower. No, that's a great sequence, but it's when he comes down at the very end. Again, this doesn't scare me anymore, but Friday the 13th, the original, when Jason comes out at the end, one of those things where, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? Because her hand is dangling on one side of the boat, but he comes from the other side. That was such a great scare. Stealing from Carrie, which stole from Deliverance. The Carrie scare is a good one, too, by the way. Yep. Exorcist 3, this was one of my favorite scares of all time, but I've watched it so many times I've desensitized myself. When the ghost goes after the nurse with the giant scissors, this long shot of a long hallway, finally she comes out, the camera zooms in really fast, and they have this good special effect. Well, probably some special effect, but somebody wearing a ghost costume with these huge scissors, and they cut before he cuts, if you know what I mean. Great scare. <laughs> ben and I talked about this movie a few years ago, too. It's not a horror film, but Mulholland Drive, The Bum Behind the Diner, another one. You know what's going to happen? Because they cut back to the two guys and then to the shot where the bum's going to be, to the two guys where the bum's going to be. More than a few times you find the realize, oh, that's when it comes out. Great music stinger. And that used to make my skin crawl. Insidious, same kind of thing. The red-faced demon behind mm -hmm. Patrick Wilson. Really well shot, too, by James Wan. Bev and I just covered a movie by James Wan a few days ago, Saw, where the demon's partway scene, maybe half of his face. The ending of The Vanishing, the original movie, the Dutch movie, I think it's a Dutch film. When you find out what happened to the girl that got kidnapped. Okay. It's not really all that scary. It's more like, oh, that's what it was? Oh, Jesus. It's more of a, oh, I don't really want to know. It really stays with I think Leonard Maltin said that, a movie that stays with you for days. He wasn't wrong. Irreversible, not a horror film, but I've only ever seen that movie once, and I still remember the horrific violence in it vividly. A woman gets brutally raped, and before that even happens, the movie goes backwards, so it's actually after, chronologically, when a guy gets his face caved in and another guy gets his arm broken. And I can still remember that stuff so well, and I've only ever seen that movie one time. So not a horror film, but it might as well be. And this one has to be mentioned. TV show, we knew something was going to happen in that episode in Haunting of Hill House. Right. We didn't know what it was. And <laughs> it's when Ghost Nell scares the two sisters in the car. Another thing I've watched on YouTube 10, 20 times, so it's desensitized me. Bev literally screamed when it happened. <laughs> and I don't usually get scared by things, but it made me jump. It definitely made my skin crawl and made me jump because yeah. it's so well done. I am very susceptible to jump scares. That's one of the reasons I don't We like all it. are, usually. One of the things that sticks with me is the chest burster from Alien. Alien. Yeah, sure. That's one of the great moments. Even though it's not terribly scary, it's still an iconic horror moment. And funnily enough, before I ever saw any of the Aliens movies, I saw Spaceballs. Oh, and they mock it. Yeah. They mock it, right? With That's John Hurt. Yeah, and this the chest burster that pops out, and then, of course, it's in the Space Diner, the, hello, my baby, hello, yeah, my right. darling, and he dances across. That scared me as a kid. So that oh, showed, the comedy version the of it. The comedy version oh. of it scared me. So, of course, when I eventually did see Alien and the subsequent Alien movies, you can imagine the effect it had on me. At that point, I was older. It didn't scare me quite as much, but it's iconic. It stuck with me. Yeah. You kind of talked about The Shining a little bit. In that theme we got to talk about Treehouse of Horror as far as greatest scary moments. <laughs> the Shining parody with the oh, blood yeah. coming off the elevator. Oh, that's funny. That usually gets off on the fourth floor. Right? Or the, like, <laughs> I'm Ed Bradley. I'm morally safer. All these more than 60 minutes. Dope. He's trying to mock the whole <laughs> here's Johnny moment from The Shining. All work and no play make Homer something something. <laughs> something. No beer and no TV that's, make course, Homer yeah. something something. Go crazy. Don't, Don't mind, mind if, if I, I do. do. <laughs> yeah. So, so many great moments from that series as well. Body horror, to me, is the stuff that tends to stick mm. with me more David than David Cronenberg, then. A lot of the slow burn, gruesome stuff. You mentioned Irreversible as a movie that had some real graphic violence that yeah. stuck with you, even though it's not necessarily horror. Last House on the left, oh, about yeah. 15 to 20 years ago, is the same way for me. I only 10 ever, years ago, 2009. 
Was it that recently? Mm-hmm. And then, of course, it was based on an original movie by Wes Craven, which Bev and I talked about yeah. a lot when we did Nightmare on Elm Street because we talked about Wes Craven and his filmography, of course, in that podcast. Yeah, I'm thinking about the remake specifically. I didn't realize yeah. it was that recently. The violence and the rape, which, exactly. of course, is violent. But, I mean, that is one thing. But then later on, the vengeance. Whew. As far as visceral imagery, I only ever saw that when it came out in and the And one of the bad guys in that movie is Aaron Paul. Is he really? Mm-hmm. I didn't remember that. The last movie and or imagery I wanted to mention, because I probably should have put it in my top five, is The Thing. Oh, yeah. Bev and I covered that one, too. There's never a moment in that movie where I've ever felt necessarily scared, but it's one of those movies that leaves you feeling unsettled throughout. And some of the visual imagery, even for the time, the practical effects... No digital effects back then. ...were amazing and visceral, and they hold up to this day, even if they're slightly goofier looking, but... Not that much, though. Not that much. It's a fantastic movie. And Not it, nominated for the visual effects or for the makeup, which is shocking. That is shocking. That is one of those movies, though, that I wish nobody had ever attempted a sequel to. And the fact that they ever did... Remake. It, was there not a Thing 2 that came out? Well, actually, it's a prequel. I shouldn't call it a remake because the thing that you're thinking of is a remake of a movie from the 50s, yes. 1951, The Thing from Another World. And the one with Mary Elizabeth Winstead and Joel Edgerton, I believe it is, was supposed to be the... What were they? Finnish? Norwegian? Swedish? One of those... Nordic countries. One <laughs> of those. But the beginning peoples. of the, the movie, the John Carpenter movie you're talking yeah. about, people on a helicopter shooting at a dog. It's them. It's, so it's based on that. We're oh, seeing see. what happened leading us to the dog. Well, not even the dog, but the alien inside the, alien the dog. The alien inside the dog, yeah. No, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Mm. I don't think there was ever a thing too, though, per se. If there was a single kind of genre, and I say kind of because we've gone off the pure horror spectrum a little bit, but that you were to ask me about, this is the one that I would be most hard-pressed to give you a top five, top ten. And yet still, as we're talking about it, movies are popping into mind that are, you got to watch this for this moment, this moment, this moment, this moment. It really is so hard in any genre, even the one that I'm least interested in, to find a top five, top ten movie or moments because there's so bloody many of them. It's funny that we call this the Top 100 Project. Well, this is a spinoff of it, but... We don't really rank things that much, and it's really hard to do it because you leave out 10, 20, or 100 others you love in any genre, whether it be all movies, or in this case, horror movies, or sports movies, or what have you. God help us if we ever have to do, uh, or ask each other, and maybe this will happen when we do whatever, on our 50th episode retrospective or something. Even for 50 movies, I think, an interesting task to to see. Narrow it down to five? Yeah, what's your top five? It's going to be a tough one. I guess we'll have to do that then. All right, so that's it for Lionheart and our scary movies. Enjoy Halloween. I certainly will. I always do. I hope we get more people this year, though, because as great as it was last year, the quality of scares was awesome. The quantity, not so much. Have a spooktacular yeah. Halloween. Somebody had to be corny in here, and yeah, it was of course. Cool. I think you only finished your leftover Halloween candy from last year. In about April. A, <laughs> a few months ago. We bought so much, because we never had enough in the other houses. And last year, we had way, way too much. There's 150 of them waiting up there right now. Three boxes worth. That probably is enough. And each kid, hey, if any kids listen to this, then they're not. And this, <laughs> but, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> but you're going to something you're gonna get three or four pieces of candy come to this house because I want to get rid of it this year. Okay, so in two weeks, it will be November 14th. The NCAA will be a little over a week into their season. So let's get back on the basketball court and analyze a college basketball picture, which I have seen, but I don't remember this. It's been a long time. Mm-hmm. Blue Chips. Blue Chips. A little Shaq, a little Nick Nolte. This is a movie I loved back in the day, but haven't seen in about 15 years. So I'm looking forward to this one as 25 well. 25 years old. Good choice for it. 1994 came out. 25-year anniversary. So we are on Twitter. He is at Scoring at Movies. I am at MovieFiend51. We're on Stitcher, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. The Top 100 Project is where you'll find us there. All the podcasts that Bev and I have done and that Chris and I have done, well over 300 episodes. 
And look for a lot of those horror films we talked about because we covered a ton of the ones that I mentioned and that he mentioned a few minutes ago. Happy Halloween. Take her easy, dudes. Uh, I know that you will. I was really hoping you would say that in French. I never really <laughs> thought about doing that. <laughs> I should have. <laughs> Au revoir. What is dudes in French? Dudes. <laughs> Mon chéri. Mon chéri. Je sais que tu veux. No. Bye. Oh, what? Eh, whatever. Just bye. Bye.